0: Welcome to BBC's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website at ballonvineyard.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud.
1: What was really important for me when I was putting together um, the panel for tonight was I didn't just want to have three, you know, like together women who were like,
2: you know, those women who
1: were like, look, these are the four steps to freedom, you know, I did this and I was free within a week. Um, you know, and that's great, those people exist, love them. Um... We're <laughs> so <you're> not them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, a more, um, you know, I think that lots of us are on a process, and so, um, yeah. So, these guys are going to take us on a process tonight, and Charlotte, that us maybe kick us off, um, by telling us a bit about your journey and what you reached. Sure, that's... no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. So...
0: so. Um, hello. Nice to see you all. Thanks for coming. Um, yeah, I was pretty um, rocked when George asked me a couple of months ago if I would speak at this tonight about body Um Like she said, I'm very much in process. Um, and yeah, it's it's definitely been an interesting journey. I'm 33. And um, this is something that I've struggled with, the way I view myself, the way I see myself, on my whole um, life, particularly from my teenagers years onwards. Um, so I was a very, very tiny baby. I was... Um Guys, let's right over there. I promise, this isn't like ear like, 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 by year. But um... <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I was born three months early, back in 1985 and um, I was a two-pound, 2 ounce miracle wow. baby. Um, and I look at pictures now and I can't even like compute the bathroom, like this tiny little thing. Um, but yeah, it was a miracle that I survived, um, you know, um, fully functional. No, you know, praise Jesus. No, nothing majorly wrong. Um, but when I hit my teenage years... Um, my hormone kind of process never really kicked in properly and so my periods never kicked in. And so when I was about 13, my uh, parents took me to the doctors and um, did some tests and they diagnosed with me with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And sadly for me, a lot of women have, can have polycystic ovaries but um, I, I was burdened kind of with the full spectrum of lots of side effects to do with that. So. The only way to, um, if you don't know what ovarian syndrome is, by the way, I should probably explain this, when you have lots of cysts on your ovaries, and it suppressed kind of the natural oestrogen, and increased the male testosterone in my system. Um, And so in those really uh, crucial developmental years, in my teenage years, um, I piled on so much weight, and the only uh, thing they could put me on at that time to help my kind of periods kick in was the contraceptive pill. Uh, So at 13, I was on the pill, and I was on it for about 10 years, um, and I was having these kind of regular cycles, but fake cycles, and my weight was just going up and up and up and up, Um, and I was miserable. I mean, I went from skinny child to severely overweight teenager, and that's not an exaggeration in probably the space of like two years. I vividly remember being 13, 14, and a size 14, an adult size 14, and... Fashion and clothes have come a long way in the last, like, five, ten years. And I'll touch on that a little bit. But um, back then, there was nothing available to me as a 14-year-old that made me feel like I could fit in with all the other girls. And it was just, I didn't know how to cope. I wasn't taught, really, how to process that pain I was feeling. All I knew was I suddenly felt very, very different to everybody else. And, um, yeah, I really turned sort of self-loathing. Like, I, I I hated myself. I didn't want to be in, you know, I, fashionable clothes. I just wanted to hide in, in, you know... I didn't feel like me. I couldn't find my personality. <coughs> and it really took me until, um, I would say, mid-twenties to actually start to understand who I am and start to embrace my figure as it is now. And that's not to say I'm not on a journey. Um, I, my... Um, process I would say in a nutshell has gone from obsessing about why can't I be a size 10 why can I not be like all the other girls why can I not wear what I want to wear when I want to wear it why do I have to be so hideous to okay well I'm probably not quite there yet but I am going to love me in this moment Like I'm going to start to actually give myself some self worth and, and embrace the version of me that I am in this moment. And it's been a really, really hard process. Um, that's, you know, I don't even, I can't even really <clears throat> get into all the nuances of it. But it's, I am so passionate about standing in front of women and saying like, look, please, I can brace who you are now in this moment. Yeah. Like, don't don't look backwards, because all you're gonna see is pain you know, I'm not saying forget about what's gone, but you can't, you can't be constantly looking backwards. Equally, if you're too far looking forwards, about like, oh, I would be able to do this if only I was two stone lighter. I'd be able to do this if only, you know, if only I. If only, we put so many dreams and wishes and hopes off because we tell ourselves, I can't do that until I, I live a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've really challenged myself in the last few years, particularly, to stop trying put that on myself and, and yeah I've got a few testimonies around that but I don't know if that's enough. Um, can
1: you tell us about how um, this is how your weight has impacted your relationships with your
0: family? Mm. That was a leading question there. <laughs> <laughs> she, knows me so, she knows me so well. Um, so I've had a very interesting somewhat difficult relationship with my mother. I mean, hands up, who doesn't have mother issues, like, it's... Uh, I love my mother deeply, but, like, she's a, she's an insecure person. Um, and I think she projects that insecurity onto me. And my mother is only probably slightly overweight. She's probably, like, a size 14, 16, but for her, that seems huge, because she was always historically thinner. And... <coughs> it's been a battle to get her to let me be. Yeah. Like, I think I was on a Rosemary Conley diet at 13, 14. Mm-hmm. Like, she, my parents, bless them. Their mum's and a nurse dad's a doctor, so that gives you another little bit of a context Then mm-hmm. um, Their love for them looked like, we need to help you get thin. Mm-hmm. Like, and I understand, don't get me wrong, I understand our medical implications by being bigger. I'm not being blasé about that. But it's not the whole picture. And my mental health was suffering because the flip side of that was there was so much pressure to try and be thin. Um, and I'm one of five siblings, I'm the eldest, and I've got two other sisters. And the middle sister, we've all actually got processing ovarian syndrome, which is really interesting. There's obviously genetic kind of link there. Um, but it's. Me and my younger sister that have struggled the most with the symptoms and we're the ones that carry the weight. And um, I've seen the same thing happen with her that happened with me and the way my mum interacts with her and she's now been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Um, and my mum her the pressures become even sort of heavier. There's only six years in the five of us, so Francesca is 27. Um and, you know, I always forget the age. Um, yeah, it's very, it's a difficult tense relationship, but I've had to sort of start owning my voice and, and express to my mother, I know this is kind of a place of love, but when you say this, like if only you were a bit thinner, then, you know, or if you thought about, oh, I'm trying to think, She's there's been so many little comments, mm. that it, it, I don't know how really, if I could pinpoint an exact kind of story, shall we say, where I was completely crushed by her comments, but, they're peppered throughout my daily life. You know, there's just little barb here, little barb there. And she doesn't see it as that. She sees it as like a loving kind of, you know, you don't really need to eat that. You know, you, know, you thought about, uh, it's just, oh. I'm a 33 year old woman and I still feel pressured by my mother to look a certain way. Cause it doesn't fit her ideal kind of, of what I should look like. And, um, I
1: think I can give a story. Okay, go on. So, <coughs> time. Um, i She's
0: think, been to my family for, like, Christmases and Christmas, oh My so yeah. mum calls Georgia her adopted daughter. <laughs> yeah. So, she's right there in the thick of it. Um, I
1: think my sister got married. Mm. If that was, do you want to share that story? Sure. So, my middle sister, Alex,
0: um, got married last September. Uh, and we. my mum's sort of first comment off the back of like Alex being engaged and this whole grand affair was also some great opportunity for us mm-hmm. to do a concerted effort to lose weight for the wedding. Mm-hmm. She was like, because you know, you want to look good for the photos. I swear that was what came out of her mouth. And you don't? she doesn't want to have plus size bridesmaids. That, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Alex doesn't want to have
1: plus size bridesmaids. Yeah. And I was like, Charlotte. That's like you asking me to be your bridesmaid and saying, but I don't want you be blonde. You've got to change the clothes, okay? <laughs> you yeah. were there when the conversation went down, weren't you? Me, were there. It's, I mean, George was so shocked by it, and
0: I think what was interesting was that you I sure. wasn't shocked by it. Because yeah. so, I've been so conditioned by that point that that was just the interaction, the relationship. Like, that's just an average day. Yeah. And it's only in the last few years I really think I've got... To the point where I don't feel so under it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, there's the days. You know, there's the days when you just don't, you're not on. You just feel everything gets to you. And then those barbs can just cut even deeper. But I know. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm sure well, we're going to come back soon and ask some questions. So, okay. Well done, you
3: okay, now we have Charlie. He's going to share. So I think it's really interesting because I actually never identified myself as having issues with body image at all, so I never saw myself as a victim to body image issues or anything like that until probably about about a year ago. Um, And so my story kind of actually starts when I was 14, so eight years ago, Um, and I went to the doctors for skin issues. Um, And so it's kind of that classic teenage phase where everybody, hormones kick in for me, and um, You get spots and so you end up going to the doctors and being given different antibiotics or whatever they want to give you Um, but for me my skin kind of never really did and so what happened over the next eight years was um, me coping with my skin um, and i have so many really deeply inbuilt behaviors that i use to control how i feel about my skin Um, and just to give you Contest. And this is the first time I think I've, I don't even know which photo it is, but I've shared a photo of my skin, completely that makeup, and this is from, a, I don't know, a few months ago, yes. So you guys are in the vault, so this is a real, <laughs> a vulnerable thing for Charlie's studio. So you can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, <laughs> really glum as well. fun. <laughs> um, so you can see me like this now, but it is a completely different story behind closed doors, which I think it is for a lot of people, the a yeah. lot of issues. Um, and I think that really presents quite a stark reality of I am being serious when I talk about my home skin issues, mm. yeah. you know, like, I have a voice on this because I, that, that's what it does look like. Yeah. Um, and so, um, don't get me wrong, when I was fourteen, it didn't quite look like that, it's got worse over time. Um, but I, I think I, what I realised sort of a year ago, I started to realise that actually, um, I just graduated from university and I was kind of looking around thinking, honestly, I've had issues with my skin for so many years now and I've always had felt self-conscious so about things and it stopped me doing things on a number of different occasions. Um, and so I decided that actually whilst I'd been given every what it seems every medical treatment that they could give me the doctors, I was like, okay, well I'll try a diet overhaul, I'll try all these different things. And I have done everything pretty much possible. All the stuff to do with good gut bacteria and you know, eating fermented food. I didn't do anything for myself. Like, <laughs> it's just the work. So like having fear every day and stuff like that, yeah. Um, so um, I mean I did that for a good year at university as well, Um, but um, I, yeah so I think maybe if I talk a bit about the behaviours I think that's kind of helpful to see how it actually infiltrates my life, but how I really didn't realise it infiltrates my life. Um, So I'm going to start at the beginning of my day, so at the beginning of my day I wake up and the first thing I do in the morning is look straight in the mirror and think, okay how am I going to cover up today? That is my first thought, as soon as I wake up in the morning that's my first thought. I don't actually leave my room until I've got some sort of cover up on my face. So I live in a house with a, like, quite a few different people um, and that also causes problems in the evening when you've gone to bed and you have taken your makeup off but then you need the toilet but the lights on the landing and you know people are milling around and it's that moment where you open the door, people, genuinely I'm, I'm like I do this Peep, to see if people are outside the door, and then quickly dash to the toilet. And then, once you've gone for your wee, and it's, I mean, the process of me going to the toilet is about 20 minutes, it's ridiculous in the evening. Um, go back to the bathroom door, listen, see if anyone's there, open the door, and then run back to my room and then go to bed. And I just, I cannot, I hate, I just can't receive without upset. It. Like, it's just not, but it's because it's built up for eight years, and I've never had someone say to me, actually, it's okay to you feel like that, and there is something that can sort this out. I've just never had anyone validate what I felt. Um, and, um, and so that kind of seems like that's the end of my day. The start of my day is me trying to work out how to come stuff up. And, and the problem with skin is that um, sometimes you can't hide it so you just hide you. And so what that looks like in my life is um, me not going to things. So if I have a day where the sun is like shining pretty bright, I hate daylight. Like, I, I love beautiful days, I like get wrong, but I really hate being in daylight. Um, so if I know I'm going to, like, a summer party, if my skin's fat, I probably won't go, or I'll go, but probably a bit later when the light's a bit darker, so that it's not so glaringly obvious. Um, and pretty much most <coughs> occasions I've been to, most days, I can pick a day from last week, and I probably tell you what my skin was like that day. I can pick a day from last month, and I say. So it's say it's that, that kind of entrenched in me of, of knowing what it's like and being so, so aware and so self-conscious of that. Um mm. And, yeah, and so I think, for me, because I was, I went through the process with everybody else when I was 14, but my process looked different to everybody else. And so whilst everybody else at school kind of got rid of their lunches by the time they were kind of like 16 or whatever, you know, mine kind of continued. But maybe it <coughs> obviously provided my way of hiding and keeping it all going. Yeah. Um, but I used to miss the days of school because it wasn't, <coughs> it'd be bad, and I'm just <coughs> and let it heal, and sometimes if it didn't heal in that day, I'm gonna take another day off? But my mum really trusted me, that wasn't well, so it just kind of took a few, you know, and that's just kind of what I did. Um, so yeah, can you tell us about public transport? Oh, I hate public transport. I hate the tube, I mean, tube lighting is the worst, <laughs> but like, I'm pretty well accustomed to like, everybody's feet on the Northern Line, because I really do my whole on the tube, because I can't, I can't have my face up. And I, I, I hate it, I just absolutely hate it, and I have to, um at law school at the moment, so I have to travelling um, to Waterloo. And I have to go, I have to do my tutorials, otherwise my firm will drop me. Um, so I have to go, I have no choice. But I have to go on rush hour on a tube. And some days it takes, it, it's just knowing that I'm, I'm going to be dropped by a firm if I don't turn up to the tutorials that pushes me to go. If there's any other reason, I wouldn't have gone, I wouldn't have been on a tube, wouldn't do um, And so it's just really interesting because. Um, I don't think I ever realised that I was a victim to this kind of stuff, yeah. um, until suddenly I just, it just kind of hit me, like a, like a bit of a bus, um, and so I can pick out so many behaviours, so I really struggle with eye contact with my skin's bad span people, um, I really want to get out of situations quite quickly, I want to get to a mirror to see if like, my mask is still intact or whatever, um, and I just will constantly be thinking as people are looking at me and speaking, me, you're looking at this bit on my face, and know exactly who you're looking at, and they won't be. I'm sure they won't be. Sometimes they might be, don't get me wrong, but they might not, you know. So, what? Um, but yeah, it kind of that's that's how it manifests itself, um, all the time. Yeah, yeah, so,
1: thank you so much. <clears throat>
2: Were you going to say something? Clever, yeah, it was like you clear. were.
1: It's funny, when I had this idea to do this panel, um, we were sitting just over here in the hall, and I just turned to Anna and I was just like, Anna, should you have a story about what are you mentioned." I just feel like you, like, like, like what did you do with And she told me this story, and I was just like, oh,
2: we need to record that. That is so powerful. So, yeah. Now, no pressure. Right. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, um,. Something that and we were even talking about is like there's no way that the three of us can even share with you every dirty detail or every story or every aspect of what even brought us to this place tonight at 8 p.m. like on Monday. And uh, you're just getting these highlights. You're just getting these bits of pieces of information, pieces of us that are just really important. And we felt like we needed to highlight. And honestly, I think God really laid on all three of our hearts to share with you tonight. Um, For me, it's something I was really thinking about and preparing for this is the fact that in my life there's just been such a clash of messages, such a clash of words. And uh, as a kid, like, you don't know that you're not okay until somebody whose opinion you value or something really important to you says that you're not okay. And so um, when I was younger, uh, Christmas with my aunt. Um, I don't know who she was buying these clothes for it Most certainly was not one <laughs> But um, she would buy me these clothes For my birthday and Christmas And they'd be really expensive, really nice But I'd always open it up And I knew that they were not going to fit But she was so insistent And she would make me go to one of the guest bedrooms No, you have to try these out You have to put them on And then you're going to come out And show off to the entire family Well, they would never, ever fit So I'd end up just staring at myself in the mirror in these really awful Christmas jumpers and clothes, Um, and just started to hate myself, even at such a young age, that it wasn't what she wanted me to be. And I would stay in there, and so my mom would come in, um, and God bless that (laughs) moment. And she would never make me come out, but then my aunt would always make sure that everybody knew that she had bought the supposed clothing size for a child my age. That I was the problem and that she wasn't. And uh, as I got older, I really—I mean, as a kid, I remember like looking at school photos and being like more jazzed about my outfit that I had. I was like, "Man, it looks so cool! Like, it looked great." And it wasn't until I was about twelve um, that I saw a picture that my family had taken on a camping trip, and I—it was like these rose-colored glasses just came off, and I was like shocked by the person that I saw in the photo. I was like, "That's not me." And I was like. And then my oldest brother like, saw the phone and he said, oh my gosh, you're such a big fat fatty. Holy crap, how fat are you? And it was just like, in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh. Like I saw what he saw, and I called her ugly. Like I looked at myself at 12, and was like, oh my gosh, you're so right. like, you're so right. And he loves to tease. And so he would just say things like, you know, no one wants a fatty, like, man, and you got to change this. you got to do something about that. You can't be going to school like that. And um, my mom, again, God bless her, like, later on that year, it's like, in the Walmart parking lot. Great timing all the time. Um, but she really felt like it was so important to talk to me about her own journey with anorexia. And rather than taking her really encouraging words and her, like, you're so beautiful, and you're so precious, and you've got a great body, and God made you specifically. I took it like, right, step one, I can eat tons of crap and then starve myself. Like, and I can look really thin, and I can do all these things. And I took that conversation as a how-to. How to make myself beautiful. How to make myself worth it. And honestly, looking back, like, I had friends at the time who were also anorexic and were struggling with bulimia. And we used to help each other lie to our parents about what we had eaten. And then we would try out new techniques of so how to throw up our food while playing music or running water. you have, I'm taking a shower, and throw that switch on. Um, so that nobody would ever know. And then we had each other's backs, so we'd always back up the other person. And we'd always be like, no, 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 they ate dinner at my house. And as it turned out, like those girls later on, when I was at my thinnest point, were the same girls who call me disgusting and ugly in the middle of classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just like, flipped the switch on like, my super rebellious mother, of course. Um, but I was about 15 around that time, that was just the crux. like That was the height of depression for me. That was the height of a lot of suicidal tendencies. That was the height of my eating disorder. Um, but I wore that thing like a badge of honor. Like, I was like, I look Good, like, and I had really just this expansion of body dysmorphia, but um, I would have—that was like wasn't a phrase you ever heard or said at that time. Um, but that was also kind of in this crux of in this really deep place in my life. That's actually where God introduced Himself to me, and something I was recalling a couple weeks ago is that in that point He introduced Himself to me as kindness and as love, and. Even the first scripture I ever read was Jeremiah 31.3. It says, I loved you with an everlasting love, and I've drawn you in with loving kindness. And I could not believe, like, it took me years to actually even believe that that was for me. But that was how God chose to introduce himself. And throughout the years following, like God brought so much freedom for me, but it was also something I never saw my eating habits as something that needed to change. There was nothing wrong there, because... I sounded like every other woman in my life. What woman hasn't said, ugh, finally I could change this thing? Or you receive a compliment, and you're like, oh, but have you seen my butt in this? Like, no, I can't wear those glasses. My nose is too big. Like, oh, my hair. Somebody says, Do you have a good hair day, and you're like, no, I'm so frizzy mess." Like, no. You just deflect, like, all these things. and So I just didn't think it was anything out of the ordinary. I mean, we have a million products to prove, that we're not okay, just as we are. And um, it was actually in university that uh, one of my best guy friends at the time was really passionate about helping his little sisters, as he called us, um, be empowered women and come out to the fullness of their identities. And there was one night, where it was just like a prayer time, and for whatever reason, something just broke. And I was journaling, and I found myself writing out, I am not a monster. I'm not disgusting. I'm not a monster. And I probably wrote that like 50 times. And uh, I just wanted that to sink in for the first time. I wanted that to sink so deeply. I wanted to write that so many times until I finally got it. And uh, I thought I handled it. I thought that was it. Like, I thought, like, oh, great. Like, I handled my shoes. Like, don't even touch that with a 10 foot pole. Um, and so as time went on, like, food, food is how I celebrated. I would binge when I was stressed, I would binge when I was sad, I would binge when I'm bored, I binge when it's time for my period because that was justifiable. Like, I would binge <laughs> for everything and I would hide it so well. Like, I would eat a pint of Ben & Jerry's and then go out and buy another pint of Ben & Jerry's and replace it. And then take that pint of Ben & Jerry's to the recycling so that no one knew that I had eaten that. Yeah. Um, And I, to kind of punish myself to deal with that, then I'd starve myself. I'd justify it with like, well, you just binge all that. Like, take some time off. Just, you know, don't even worry about it. And it was to the point where I had such a disfigured view of myself that I, like I liked the sound, like I liked being hungry. That that made me feel thin. That feeling when my stomach was growling, Like, I felt better the thinner I was. I felt better if I could see my ribs. And I felt like I had more value based upon the weight and the size that it was. And so, again, I didn't see anything wrong with this whatsoever, and it really, um, it really just took such a toll. I took a toll on my body, and if anybody ever noticed, I just hid it better. And I just pushed my habits way down further, so no matter how many roommates I had, They just would never know what I did, Um, and it was actually about two years ago that uh, my brother Jeff was diagnosed with cancer. uh, After misdiagnosis was remedied, and they found out that he needed a stem cell transplant, and I was actually a perfect match for that. It was only in that moment did I actually want to be healthier for him. Like I really—it was just such a switch of actually. I want to give him a, something good and I don't want, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really matter if it's 10 cells, but like, I didn't want to give him like stressed out, unhealthy cells. Like, I wanted to give him like, this fighting chance kind of a thing. Um, and I wanted to sleep and I wanted to take care of myself and I wanted to do all of these things. But as that kind of turmoil was happening, I watched my family for the first time. It's almost like this outside view of how we all had a different unhealthy relationship. And for the first time, I realized it wasn't just me. And that actually, I was watching my loved ones. Like, and feeling the same way I knew so many other people in my life had felt. And had tried to intervene in my life. And I was finally that person who's saying, why can't you see what I see? I love you so much. Why wouldn't you take care of yourself? I want you to be around for a while. Mm. And uh, it actually, even that, God is so kind. Because even that still didn't like drive it home for me that I really needed to change and that it was possible for me to change. This has become such a part of my identity, like it's just so consuming that you don't know your, well I I didn't know myself without this. It's so familiar, like it's just, this is what I do, this is my day. Doesn't everybody think this way? Doesn't everybody feel this consumed about, oh, is there gonna be food at the party? What does it look like? What have I eaten today? How do I feel? Like all of these things, and um, it took moving here to London for my entire life to just get turned upside down, and for all these things and all my coping mechanisms <laughs> forgot to like honestly suck the flipping fun out of all my coping mechanisms. Like <laughs> <I> just <stopped laughs> stop being fun. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, but actually, like going to um,
1: can't explain what that means.
2: Yeah, coping mechanism. The things that I would go to when I was sad, the things I would go to to make myself feel better, the things I would go to to bring value and worth to myself because my belief is that me in and of myself isn't okay. And uh, I blamed everybody else and everything else but myself. It was the media's fault, it was the magazines, it's the bloggers, it's the bullies, it's my aunt and uncle. it's all of these other people and all of these other things. And I was a victim. And I couldn't do anything about it. And I was really powerless. And in my head, I had deceived myself so much in thinking that I was making these decisions wholly independently. Like, I'm actually the beat of my own drum. I do what I want. And realizing, in counseling, thanks counseling, um, that I was actually living a life out of total reaction. That I was actually responding constantly to what other people said about me and how other people viewed me. And even, yeah, my, all of my, like, these huge decisions that I convinced myself that I made in and of myself was so reactionary. And that I put all responsibility on everybody else. And it's been in this past year that, um, even down to cooking, like I didn't learn how to cook because I thought it would make me a stereotypical woman and I didn't want to ever get told oh, she's oh, she cooks, well, of course, she's a woman like she should be in the kitchen and so like I didn't learn how to cook like that's ridiculous now that I look at that but like, that's like an example of just a reaction, like I didn't learn something because I didn't want to be a stereotype and uh, in all of that it actually took I counseling and kind of unearthing that stuff, and it took going to the GP and having, my body was crumbling, I was getting sick constantly, mm-hmm. and it took this GP just looking me in the eye and saying, hi, could you please have some grace for yourself, could you please have some patience with your body, and I was like, it's 10 o'clock in the morning on Friday, like, <laughs> What this woman's like speaking into my soul, like. (laughs) 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 But she just looked. She was so sincere, and um, it started. And just even having her looking in the eyes and saying, "You need to take care of your body, and you're going to keep crumbling if you don't take care of yourself." And for me realizing that it wasn't a quick fix that was going to get me there. That it wasn't a 10 pounds in one week or like cleanse myself into a new body. That actually something the root needed to change. And the root that I'm a powerful woman and that I'm not talking about somebody else when I'm saying those words, but I'm actually talking to myself and I'm actually thinking that I am responsible, that nobody else is responsible for my happiness, mm-hmm. no one else is responsible yeah. for my body, no one else is responsible for my life. Mm-hmm. I am. I have never thought that thought until this past year, like, until this past like six months. And that's just been absolutely wild and it's so just, yeah, so God's kindness in that. Um, yeah. Okay. George, thank you. <laughs>
1: We were buying boots, we really trying to buy boots in America, we are going to talk about, um, yeah
0: just talk about that process, talk about the boots, well, <laughs> where
1: they were through, like, the roots of the death,
0: <laughs> um, uh, yeah, for me, um, it's funny, I can, I think we can all relate to a lot of the comments that the girls, yeah. wanted been saying about these behaviours, yeah. that you wouldn't notice even I was sitting there mentally like playing through, you know, like, oh yeah. Um, so for me, I, the story George is referring to is that I've always wanted a pair of knee-high boots. And it seems like a really, really insignificant thing, but I've never been able to find, well previously up until a certain point, a pair of knee-high boots because I have big calves because I'm a big girl, because of my size. And it was this just kind of like um, feeling again of like, everybody else but me. Like, I'm, I'm over here and I'm completely segregated yet again from accessing this world that I want to be a part of as something as insignificant as wanting to wear a pair of boots that all the other girls are wearing. And this is in my 20s, by the way, not even just in my, you know, when you're in, in your teens, you can kind of, these behaviors at school, or whatever, it's common. But even in my 20s, it was still like this, like, hang up. And my mum, I remember, bless her, please do think I'm bashing my mum for this, and I know it's been recorded. And I'm like, I'm just I love her, like, we've been on such a journey. And, and like, and I was saying, like, I'm not a victim, and I'm very aware that my mum's uh, comments and behaviors come from her own brokenness. Um, but she said that, you know, oh, when you lose weight, you know, then you can get a pair of boots, because then you will be able to find some to fit. And it was like, wow, you know, like, here we go again. Um, but in America, there, we met this really kind couple um, who really, I had, as George mentioned, I had quite a transformative moment, because um, the uh, wife um, took, but she basically picked up uh, me, Georgia, and my housemate and said, uh, we're going on a shopping trip. So instantly, dread. Like, all the other guys are like, yes! Instantly, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, like, seriously, cold fear. Like Because I can't walk into any store and just buy whatever I want. I I have to cultivate select pieces. Like, that's been my whole journey. Like, I know the stores to go to where I can get certain things and... You know where to shop online to get this, and so it was instantly. It was more of a scary, fearful. Oh no! Well, I'm now reduced to the accessories section of all the shops. Yeah. Like yeah. honestly, that's how my like, accessories and shoes,
1: yeah. and makeup. my and makeup. Makeup always fits. Yeah. Pretty much.
0: Yeah. Hence why I'm probably a, why I'm a makeup artist. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was this real fearful thing. But. um uh Heather, um, the wife who who took us, the wife, this, our friend, this lady, (laughs) who (laughs) was this couple who had really taken us under their wing, um, she really sensed it pretty immediately. She was very intuitive. She has daughters, and I think she could just tell by looking at me that I was, like, not okay. And she kind of just took me to the side, and she kind of, like, walked with me, and she just listened as I, I really felt safe with her, so I just said that Heather this is going to be difficult for me, I've got to be honest. I am so grateful for this generosity. This is an amazing, you know, thank you so much. Because we were poor little students who had, like, no money. Like, this was an incredible uh, blessing. But um, it filled me with absolute fear. And she just said, I'm with you in this. And I'm going to hold your hand. And there's no pressure here. And I, But I want to find stuff with you and for you. Like, I'm for you in this. And bless her. this is the story of the boots. Because I, in my head, I just suddenly went, I really want a pair of knee-high boots. And I just thought, I don't even know if this is possible. But I said it to her. I said, like, look, this is, I think this might be my my breakthrough moment. Like, I need to, like, kick this shame and this crap in the face. Because I've been told for so long that I can't have this. Or if only you lose that two stone, then maybe, just maybe, you might be invited to the special club where all the other girls are. And so... I promise I'm not bitter about it. Just passionate. Um, So we went on this journey. Um, Do you know what? We went store to store, and I couldn't find anything. And every store we left was this just like crushing feeling, like, it's never gonna happen. And more and more shame, more and more embarrassment, more and more, you know, like, oh, what have I done? And um, but Heather wouldn't let me give up and we went to um, one store and we found that they did not in store but they did have online like extra wide kind of calf sizes and things and basically we ordered a pair and even then she was like and they were like two hundred dollar boots like you know so she's like yeah these are the ones and um and she even said like if they don't fit if there's if they're not right no pressure like we'll send them back i will get you another pair like she really was so Tight. Mm. And it was coming against that, that spirit, I think, of just like. I don't even know how to, how to word it. Um, it was just breaking, it was a breakthrough moment for me. And the boots arrived, and they were a bit tight, but they weren't uncomfortable. And, you know, I just walked. It was such a moment walking into school, walking into <laughs> yes. class, in yes. those boots, yes. and just feeling like, for the first time, like. Do you know what, like, wow. Like, whoever told me I could not belong. And, and it, it was, a, it was a, again, a self-love, a self-worth thing for me. And it was probably that turning point for me understanding what self-love, self-worth, well, uh, self-worth and self-care looked like. Yeah. And extending that grace that us women are so good at extend it to everybody else, right, all the time. Like, Really loving on each other, but don't you ever think you know, like if they actually hurt, like if you would never speak to your friends the way you speak to yourself in your head, would you? Yeah. What if you would? There wouldn't be. A, I don't think they'd be around. We are so mean to ourselves, that yeah. critical self voice all the time. And it was the first time I think I really just stood there and thought like, you deserve this. Yeah. Like you deserve these boots, and it was a mission. Like yeah. it was a mission. It was a. It was a. Oh, it was just such a slog, and I really had to press into overcoming that Mm shame all the time. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, Yeah, but I think that was a real break. I I feel like that was like a. Yeah. It was was a stake in the ground. It was like a line in the ground, yeah. Yeah, that was the real turning point. Definitely. To actually, yeah, to really becoming loving yourself and being kind to
0: yourself. If I'm really quick, can I tell the seatbelt story?
1: (gasps) Please! (laughs) Yes, be quick, though, be quick. Okay, obviously. so, when I was a baby, when I was born, um, so uh,
0: last year, I was on a plane with Georgia. And um, I'm one of these people, again, these behaviors we were talking about, um, <coughs> they creep into my daily life without me realizing that like, we walked in here and my first thought was, oh crap, there's stalls. Am I going to have to sit, like, is this going to hold me? Is this going to be comfortable? Like... I have, I I've got every. I have to assess whether I'm going to fit in a certain space. Yeah. That is my. That is the part of my life. And when it comes to planes, the chairs aren't the biggest. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, and I've, I've most of the time I kind of squish
1: into the seatbelt, and it's fine. But we were going to Australia, so. <laughs> no Yeah, old. I was just like, she was like, I oh, no, I can get it. I can get it to to fit. your yeah. sexuality, No.
0: And I know you can ask for a seatbelt extender, but I was, right then, I've never, I honestly don't think I've quite felt shame on that level. Like, yeah. you're, you're tired and you're just, yeah. everyone's watching and the they're, belt, like, they're, you know, they're getting ready to take off and I'm desperately trying to get the seatbelt to fit. Yeah. And I just knew it would be drawing attention. Like, the worst thing, fat girl in seat number, you know, 73 wants a seatbelt extender because she can't fit. Um, but I, George, was, I was just like, George, I'm gonna have to ask for a seatbelt extender. She's like, I'm so proud of you. Like, I don't feel proud, I'm so terrible. <laughs> I'm, like, trying to keep, like, I'm trying to keep my shit together. I don't to burst into tears. Like, again, it's that white heart, like, I'm gonna don't forget it, like I this is mortifying. This is cementing the lie that I have believe yeah. my whole life that I am fat and ugly and do not fit the boxes that people literally that people have created. And I literally have the pressing that call button and being like Hi, so can I have a seatbelt extender? Like, I practically whispered it. Can I have a seatbelt please? But she was like, mm-hmm. like, fine, I It was like, totally fine. But on the return flight, I had to do the same thing again, but totally different process. Yeah. Because I was like, yeah. I'm owning this. Yes. Hey, can I have a seatbelt extender, please? It
1: was like, <laughs> my job. <You> no, know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, like, to keep talking about the, the makeup extender.
0: Oh, yeah, well, it's, it's a similar thing, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a large middle. Um, I'm a makeup artist, and it transpires that most brush belts aren't very large. Who knew? Apparently they don't cater for plus-size women. Shame on them. But there is one company that I approached, um, a smaller company, independent company, and I said, would you be able to make me an extender? And they are like, "Uh, that's something I will have to look into, but sure, the customer service was great. They were like, we'll figure it out. Didn't get back to me for months, but I messaged them again, and they were so apologetic and they sent one out to me completely free of charge and it's like, it's perfect. I actually met the makeup artist who founded that company like two weeks ago and said, "Um, I just want to thank you for custom making this extended for me. He's like, oh, you're that girl. I was like, oh my God. He was like, like, I want to thank you because we should, we should have had an awareness. Like, we should not be like, you know, we should be inclusive and I don't want anyone to ever feel like they can't have what they need from us. So I was like, hmm. So, um, when, when, yeah, no, we're now, ne- now I'm networking, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely been such a journey of, like, moving faster than the shame, yeah and, and, and not letting that define me, not letting that define my self-worth. Yeah, so
1: good. really good. and um, Charlie, do
3: you want to tell us about the breakthrough that you have with your general Yeah. So, obviously, you saw the picture of my skin, um, um and... As I said, i have been on so many different things, and so I kind of decided that I'd give myself three months after summer, um, and I got it, it, kind of, okay, if it doesn't fix and sort it out, then I'm just going to go and speak to someone about it. And I never really thought, because I said I never identified myself as being, having issues with body image, I never thought there was a solution really for me, actually. I thought, I, I just didn't, I didn't think i could get help for it, that's what I thought, um, and so, I think I lasted about a month on those three months and after that month I was like, oh, I just can't do this anymore like I just can't, I can't do this I can't be going on the tube every day to school and not, I can't do this it was like really, starting to cripple me um, and um, so I just decided to try and talk to my parents about it and just basically say I need to like I need to go and see someone about it and like my parents have known that I've struggled with my skin like I, they obviously know i have been back and forth to, job, to the doctors and stuff um, and like I remember my mum was school for Christmas this is just, I just remember this she bought it for Christmas once, like, um, so have my makeup done at Elizabeth <coughs> Arden. Um, mm. and, um, honestly, the, I, I mean, I love Elizabeth Arden makeup, don't get me wrong, but the process of having a makeover is possibly the most horrifying thing in the whole entire world. Yeah. And she bought it for me, and I think, like, I was definitely still having a proper conversation with her about it, because I still found, found it so emotional, the fact that she was so hurt because of my reaction. Yeah. Because I was sitting on a stool in, um, Selfridges, in the middle of, I mean the spotlight's there, are just insane, and they took off all my makeup to then reapply makeup, but you have to sit there for a long time until they, and obviously I know best how to cover up spots, my spots, like I know best what works best on what areas, they don't, like they just don't because it's my skin. Um, so I remember having this whole period of like an hour. Like the makeup was so long and then she's telling me, and bless this poor girl, she obviously could see that I was genuinely just welling up. So she's telling me what beautiful colour eyes I have and how she's never seen that colour eyes before. I <laughs> Yeah, everyone's looking past. And this girl with this bright red face is like trying not to cry, she's having her makeup done. And they do it so over the top, the bottom of it, I just kind of look clown like And so, I honestly went for was I wouldn't make that Thank you. But they just, you know, they just, I don't know. Anyway, I mean it was beautiful, just I've gone through such a horrible moment. Mm. And my mum was watching the whole time and I could just see her looking at me and I could just see her, she could see the pain that I was going through, and she thought I didn't appreciate the gift. Mm-hmm. And she thought it, it's, it's it's like it's quite a bit of money's not that done, and I got really makeup after them and basically done it as well. Um, and she thought I didn't appreciate the gift. And so she recognised that moment that I was really struggling, and I said to her afterwards, like I we went out for dinner and stuff and I tried to take some of the makeup off which it was just too much, it made me uncomfortable. It was just, and she was like, I oh, do not like the makeup and I'm like thinking, I hated the whole thing, but I really thought I would. that would be my dream, but it's just not my dream right now, because I do not have the skin I want and I can't do it. Um, <coughs> and so that was not last week's I before. Um, and so my mum had known that it happened. So when I approached my mum and I said, that I just need to, what do I do? Um, her and my dad kindly said that, okay, well, let's go and see like, a dermatologist, let's go and see what they say. And so that for me was a real, like, hard thing to do. And so I went off one day in December to dermatologist, um, and I went to see someone privately initially because I just when you when you decide that you're ready to do something and step out, you need it to be done there and then. You can't wait for the NHS (laughs) for like three to six months. I was like, (coughs) I need to know now that there's a solution that I can do something. And so I kind of knew that they'd asked me to take my makeup off. So I went and bought some like white things, makeup remover wipes from like. Got something on the way and like to do in my bag and then have my whole makeup bag in my bag as well and no, I'm going to feel it i often. Um, and I walked into this room and it was bright, beautiful daylight um, in South London and um, this lovely, lovely man, Dr. Nigel Roy, who's just fantastic, um, greeted me and said, you know, how, how was I? And I am sitting there really quite petrified. And then he said to me, well, really, I need to be able to see your skin. And I was like, oh, I know, okay. And then I had to get makeup back, and I had to just take off. Like, I didn't have to take off everything. He was like, I don't need to take everything off. He said, I just need enough. So I can see your skin. So I basically, you know when you've just taken makeup off, your skin never looks great anyway? Let's go. Because you've just rubbed it off, so it's red. So I just did, like, a smear, like, on my cheek. Um, and I thought I'd do it as small as possible, just to try and, <laughs> and minimise it. And then he gets the magnifying glass up to it and looks at my skin. And I'm just mortified at this point. Um, but I'm okay, you know. I'm like, this is fine, this is fine. And then he sits and he basically says to me, oh, yeah, no, we can definitely sort this out. And I just sit in him and say, like, what? Mm. Like, no one's ever sorted that before. Because to be fair, no one's never seen it. So how would they know, you know? Um, and then he said to me, um, he said to me, uh, yeah, and he gave me a treatment plan, um, which I am now on, which is amazing. Um, and but he also asked me to, to fill out a form. And this is called, I think, a Life Quality Index form. And I took a picture of it after I filled it out. And I don't. You want to go through all of that, but it just comes off the screen. Um, yeah. So like, you have to tick the boxes to say how you felt in the last week and how your skin had affected you. Um, and so I had to quantify basically my relationship with my skin. Um, and so you can see that. I think of some things like how. It's something to social, how much is it effective to socialising the last week? And genuinely, that last week, I was thinking, oh, there's that event I did go to. So I had to tick a lot, like, or, you know, whatever. And I was just running down this list. I got to the end of this list, and I just look at it, and it's such a stark clinical thing. When you fill out that kind of questionnaire, you just tick boxes. And I looked at it, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, enough enough. I can't do it anymore. Like, I'm so down here. But this is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I filled out that form. And, um, I, yeah, I took that phase first December. Um, and I took a photo so I was just like, there'll be a moment, there'll be a time yeah. where I can look back and I can really, in my mind, go through the <coughs> boxes and say, in the last week, how much does that interfere with your work? How much does that interfere with your social life? How much does that interfere with this? How much is this? How much is this? Much is this? And I could be like, not at all, not at mm. all, not at all. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm definitely, I'm on that journey now, so I'm, how many into treatment? So I went on treatment in January. So I'm on a treatment which some something you may have heard of. Um, and, um, Basically, shrinks all your pores, um, and it's supposed to be a permanent solution okay? um, to skin. Um, but it has some pretty crazy side effects, um, and it's quite hard to deal with because you get really, really, really dry lips, um, and lots of other different side effects. And so, it's still very much my skin on a daily basis. It takes a lot of time still, um, and so you have to do all the right moisturisers, all the right creams. You have to make sure you're having your tablets after a meal, and so you're making, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I am um, how many months into that? Uh, probably like four or five. Four, probably four months into that, and it's six months. I'm only up for six months. Um, the hardest thing about the treatment, actually, interestingly, is you go on it, and when you're given a solution for something, you kind of you're so ready for the solution, you don't really want to go through more pain. Mm-hmm. And the thing mm-hmm. with your is that it actually gets worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. And so what was really hard was that I had all these breakthrough moments, and then it felt like I was just pulled back ten steps. And it was like okay how am i going to do this again like how am i going to do this again um because it brings it basically brings everything out and i mean like your skin just gets worse and worse and worse um, and it's not your skin doesn't really it's supposed to get better really sort of the last month you're on it and it kind of continues from there on um and some people need two sets of treatment but most people do one um but i think i found that really, really tricky um but interestingly when like the, the first dermatologist, Dr. Nilash, when he said to me there was a solution, that was a really amazing moment. But the moment that's actually bigger was when I had a female dermatologist turn and look at me and said that actually there was a solution too, and it was the same solution he came up with, and that was in the NHS. And I think what I had felt before whenever I went to the doctor was that I was being a princess for like wanting pale skin, yeah. um, and so actually a female validating me hmm. just completely broke down walls for me. Um, and she's, she's incredible, um, and she basically looked at me, and she just said, I'm so sorry, that it's taken you eight years to get here, but you're totally gonna get through this, and I'm really excited to see the end result. Um, so yeah, and so I think that's kind of, those are kind of my breakthrough moments in the last, literally in the last like four or five months. Wow. I'm wow. Yeah, I think
1: that, like the, the theme is definitely like having being kind to yourself in the process. You know, and really like celebrating the, the small things, like you know, being able to get back on the plane, and you know, no shame in asking for an extender, you no know, being able to, to look at that form and um, you know, and receive that hope, you know, in that place that you are actually getting to, to the other side of this, but and even but loving yourself, you know. yeah. You know, but just the fact that you were able to put that photo of your skin up there—that's yeah. so yeah. huge. Yeah. that's yeah. so huge. I mean, that's just that is such a step towards loving yourself as you are now. And then, if we don't deal with the self-hate in the process, and you get to the finished production, it's still not okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you're still not—you know—you never, and then you never arrive, and then you're just in this um you know, this cycle of self-hate. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just dealing with that cycle that's, you know, so, so important. Um, Anna, is there anything you want to add before Chris before
2: we questions? I yeah. don't um, I think just something in, in just listening to these two amazing women, um, it's just how powerful it is when you start to find your voice. Yeah. How powerful it is when you start to actually honour yourself and actually honour and gain a bit of self-respect. <laughs> because
1: yeah.
2: I mean like both folks I'm like raging feminists,
1: all about self-respect. <laughs> and
2: yet for myself, I couldn't I couldn't extend that and extend that grace and extend that kindness. And it's been actually in seeing God's kindness in other people and seeing them come through things and actually allowing my walls to go down and experience that kindness for myself and actually be able to start speaking up for myself, and exploring who I am, what I like, because all those things you forget along the way, and you forget what I hate, what like really sucks, or like, no, I hate that vegetable, or like, no, actually, I really love this thing, and actually the details of who you are, and actually finding them pretty great, but it, it is, it actually starts to take... It's like all those other things, all that shame, all those things, you start to actually explore who you really are and start to give time to that, start to give honor to that, start to actually listen to what God has to say about it and all the other positive things and people in your life and change that messaging. (coughs) It really changes your thinking. It really changes how you start speaking up for yourself, how you start actually walking, how you actually start dealing with some of those behavioural
1: things and getting to the root of it. So good. Okay, so we're going to hand it over to you guys. Um, and um, if you have any questions for our amazing panel, this is, like the, this is the fun part. So Laura's just going to run the mic. Anyone? Any questions? Anything you want to know more about? Said it all. <laughs> Thanks. This could be to all of you, but probably directed um,
0: to Anna. Um, how do you help a friend that's going through an eating disorder that you that you know about, but they aren't getting treatment or help?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot of kindness. It takes a lot of patience and it's showing up in their life consistently. Um, It takes the hard conversations, but it also takes it, you being a safe place. And that's the thing is that it's actually been an even just moving here, actually finding that I have room to be myself, Mm -hmm. and room and safe people that I could start to talk about these things with. And so I'd say that like honestly, the most important thing is just reiterating how much you love them how much you are absolutely there for them. And I would continually point out who they truly are. Continually bringing them back to that. Um, It's just there's not, there's not a quick fix. Like that's usually the go-to for something like that. But a lot of these things have been flipping long hauls. Um, But keep showing up in their life, keep demonstrating that, keep Yeah, just having those conversations, being open, and also, the worst thing in the world is when you feel like that problem is all that you are, and when somebody looks at you, that that's all that they're seeing, and that's all that they're going to talk to you about, and then you start avoiding them like the plague, so so not to necessarily do that, but um, yeah, do you have anything you'd like to add?
0: I mean, I I would say I I probably have some some aspects of an eating disorder. Like the way I react, my emotional connection to food, a bit like what Anna was talking about. You know, how if I'm happy, I'll eat. If I'm sad, I'll eat. If I, you know, any excuse kind of to shove chocolate down my throat. Um, And it's... When you, I mean I'm lucky that I have access to talking to that area with my sister, who is kind of late because we're, you know, we're going through very similar things. I think you just need to come from a place of love, like Anna was saying, and really just make it known that like, it's because you care about them. You love them too much to leave them in the place that they're at. And it's like, and I, but showing up, like you're for them. You can't be another one of those people who's just on the outside going, so I noticed this about you. Yeah, like yeah, there's yeah, so yeah. many those people in our life, like we obsess about those people. You know, like are they just thinking I'm that, another that? Like I don't want someone to look at me and go, oh, look at that fat girl over there, that big girl over there. Like but that's how your brain, that's how my brain works. Like you know, just like Charlie was saying, it's funny how she mentioned the skin thing. How when she thinks people are looking at her and they're talking, looking at skin, I didn't even know that she was talking on skin. I had no idea that that was the thing. I wasn't talking to her earlier thinking. And I'm a an equipy, so I study faces quite a lot. And I wasn't—that wasn't the f- like a thing that I saw about her. I didn't look at her and go, oh "I was like a Like you know. so it's, it's really—it it was kind of a, it's an interesting thing. So I think your friend, if you know somebody's struggling, it's just making sure you're that safe place, and just maybe even bringing—you oh, don't want to feel like intervention, but like you, it's got to be safe. It's got to be from this place of love. It's got to be safe, and it's got to be. You've got to make sure that if you're saying it, it's because you're in it for the journey, and you're not just wanting to shine a light on that thing and then walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you're leaving them in a place where it's just like vulnerable and um, really hard. Um, I was wondering if any of you had some good
1: advice on kindly and effectively um, dealing with your mother's <laughs> Have we got a week
3: for
0: this? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I think May. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to be hogging the mic, but George did warn me about this because he's better that mic um, Yeah, she's changing me. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay, serious, childhood serious. Uh, sorry, I'm a bit of a comic as well, apparently. Um, what may I ask, um, what's the relationship like with your mum? Is that what you're talking about? Is this where we're going with this again? Because Jekyll's like somebody else's mum, and I'm like, I mean, just because it would help kind of, what's the, is it just, is it a tense relationship? No, it's fine, it's just a thing. Um, <laughs> like, mostly fine, just uh, like occasional kind of,
3: Why
0: don't you act like this, dress like this, look like this? yeah, yeah. Well, I've been there. I am there. It's so context for me is I still live at home. Um, I'm 33, and I'm breaking through the shame, so (laughs) but I'm building. I'm freelance makeup artist and building my business. It just financially makes sense to be back with the parents. Um, So I still face it on a daily basis, and it's for me. It was. Living with my mother has come from a place of learning how to be adult to adult yeah. and not adult yeah. to child. Yeah. And living at home, you instantly—gosh, if I'm not my teenage self, when my siblings turn <laughs> up, like we'll be like, I mean, Georgia's witnessed it. She looks at me sometimes when she's there. She's like, "Who are you? Who is this version of you?" Are like it's so bizarre. You just can't help it. You can't switch, and you just back in those roles. So when you're doing dealing with, when you're dealing with your mother, I think, I, God gave me a real breakthrough with my mum by um, saying to me, he gave me this analogy about how when you've got a paper cut and you eat like a bag of crisps or something, it really stings, like you know, that's salt in the wound. And God told me that my mum is a gaping wound and the way
2: I live my life